Justin Santa Maria, thank you for coming on the Tech Meme Ride Home. And Justin Santa Maria, thank you for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, let's just dive right into it. Uh, you you started at Apple in 2003. Is that directly out of college or what had you been doing before you joined Apple? Yeah, um, I... Uh, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and came out to the Bay Area to go to college uh, in 99. So in 2003, uh, I, I joined Apple straight out of college. Uh, I had, uh, I think I interviewed there for six straight months looking mm. for a role at Apple. It was, uh, it was uh, uh, my job coming out of college was to get a, to get a job at Apple. <laughs> so, you know, th that's an interesting thing to me. The, I've only talked to a handful of Apple folks for the Internet History Podcast, and most of them were in the era of, is Apple going to make it, <laughs> you know, right. the, the late 90s or whatever. Um, so, you know, you're kind of, you would be right at that period where uh, Apple obviously always had no problem finding talent, hiring talented people because they were Apple and they had a certain sheen, even in their worst days of, of you know, th this is where the cool kids are. Sure. But, um, you know, so when you're joining in 2003, they, that's right when the, the iPod is taking off and Apple is becoming again this sort of player in the tech world where it kind of wasn't for a little bit, you know? So um, just a cultural question of sure. what was the energy like? Did you still get the sense of like, okay, we're, we're starting, we're, we're still in a rebuilding period here? Or what was it like when you got there? Yeah, great question. Um, when I first arrived at Apple, I remember the iPod had launched. Um, there was not a uh, iTunes was not on Windows yet. So they were mm. using a third party uh, player for all of that. And in fact, my first project, uh, you can imagine my excitement when I joined Apple and my first project is to work on iTunes for Windows. And I was like, oh, that that was not uh, what I had expected. But uh, hey, I got my foot in the door and I was I was more than happy to work on that. Um, the the atmosphere at Apple going in was one that I would describe as in transition. Um, what I recall back then were a couple of things. One, I, Apple was not out of the woods yet, uh, and and you could definitely uh, feel that. Um, one of the big things I remember was uh, that the classic Mac OS, the old Mac OS, not the current Mac OS, uh, and Mac OS 10 had been, been co-developed. And I remember Mac OS nine, uh, what it was called at the time, uh, completely winding down and that team being dispersed, um, and, and some, uh, cuts coming from, from that as well. And so there was kind of a, uh, not quite out of the woods because I, again, iPod was this, very niche, very successful, right? But still it was like the experience was for Mac owners at the time. Um, and Apple really starts to, to stretch its legs a bit after I get there and you can start to feel momentum come from there. But it was still, I would say Apple still felt like uh, a very small company when I joined, if, if that makes sense. And one that had been through a lot and was still uh, fully, uh, you could still feel the next part of Apple and the old, you know, old Apple, quote unquote, part of Apple when I was there. Um, and I would say through the course of, you know, I was there for 10 years, you, you felt that kind of melt away over time. You mentioned the interviewing for six months it felt like yeah. um what what was the interview process it sounds like there were multiple rounds and well it, it, you know i i think it's one of these things too if you uh recall oh well, i go into college and it's uh startups and you know uh you know the 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 famous you know socks.com and webvan and all this stuff and then the next year you know come 2000 2001 it's mm -hmm. all gone uh, it's a wasteland, right? And and I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> um, this is very volatile. Um, and and so I think you know I, I don't think uh, that was just startups. I think the whole tech industry felt that. Um, and so coming in in 2003, and this was another example of Apple still not out of the woods. It wasn't like how it is today, where there's mass hiring going on and you can't find enough talent. It's like 
you know, there's three or four positions open, you know, in software engineering at the company. Um, and, and, and it's a real, it, the belt is still very tight. Um, and in fact, you know, I had been interviewing for different positions. And in fact, the position I got is, uh, was not even software development. It was build engineering, which is basically, uh, the task of assembling the software, making it, uh, a reproducible, uh, compilation and then assembling like the help documentation and, uh, uh, the readme file and putting all that on a CD to be pressed. Uh, and, you know, I was like the person that pushed the button that said this, this uh, image is basically ready to go get pressed. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of the last gate. So it was a very kind of operational role. Um, but that was, you know, for me, it was seeing one, the iPod and saying, wow, this is a really cool way to apply technology. But I think for me, it was also seeing that there was this vision that computing could be accessible to everyone. And that the, you know, Mac OS 10 at the time, I remember being very swayed by, wow, they're putting like a really powerful Unix-based operating system and, and making it usable and beautiful and getting people out of the meta work of managing a computer um, and and really just trying to make powerful tools for people to do what it is they want to do. And I was like, that's a really, you know, especially I think back then, a really kind of unique take on what technology was for. And so I was like, I'm going to figure out how to get into this company. So it wasn't so much that it was, uh, it was a long process because I had a, a recruiter who kept trying to find the right role for me uh, and believed in me, but it was just super competitive because there were so few uh, jobs available. So I'd be waiting for a job basically to become available for me to interview for and, and try out for. Uh, and, and I took the first one I could, I could get. Well, so you mentioned working on the uh, iTunes for Windows, uh, but also isn't uh, Don't You Get Started on, on iChat? as well yes so, so this is uh, yeah. to, to put historical context in this this is this is literally the height of aim and sort of like the the messaging sort of wars where you know they they cut off access to this one to that one so interoperability was a, it was a key thing or whatever so uh tell me tell me about iChat and if i'm right about that if that's uh sort of yeah. where you make your bones uh tell me about that project yeah, so my first job, so I was, you know, build engineer, I come out of that doing uh, working on iTunes, among other projects, and, and essentially internally moved to the iChat team. And iChat, uh, like you said, uh, the height of AOL Instant Messenger and Apple had cut a deal so that, you know, basically we get to piggyback off that network and you can sign in um, to uh, aim with iChat was huge. Um, that was... Uh, the communications platform, the compute, the, I would say the, the personal communications platform of its day. Um, and certainly the juggernaut. Um, I come into that team and they're not even talking about sending messages to each other. Uh, if you recall, uh, eyesight cameras were going to be the thing that was coming out and, uh, iChat was a, uh, a perfect vehicle to show the power of uh, how you can video conference, you know, very simply and easily. Um, and, and not just video conference one-to-one, -one, but they were, uh, we were working on what we called internally U plus three, which is you and three other people. And I don't know if you remember, but it had kind of the, 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 the light boxes uh, and, and, I do, and, and I do. the images. And it was like a three, a pseudo 3d view. And I remember being a very new engineer uh, on on this team. This was, you know, clearly uh, at the time. This is uh, 2004, uh, a priority of the company. And I remember uh, giving regular demos to Steve, and uh, and being part of that team. And it's a U plus three demo, so it's it's you need other people. And so we're sitting. You know, we have. Steve, where he normally does his his uh, demos in, in in a conference room, uh, and then I'm in my uh, boss's office with uh, a teammate of mine, and then someone's in another office, and then someone's in another office. So there's, there's literally like four computers set up to go, um, and I remember being instructed like 
whatever happens, pretend like it's going well. <laughs> like, um, because, you know, it's beta software. This is like weeks or even months before release. Um, and sure enough, um, it, you know, the call connects, we hit accept and it's just green. Steve, we can't see Steve. Steve's just green. And, you know, we're like, hey, hello, Steve, how's it going? And he's saying, you know, hi, da, da, da. okay, let's add another call. And um, it goes and it does the, you know, the, uh, actually, I think FaceTime still has, or had it till recently, the, the one sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's when it would like pop out from the one to one into like the, into the 3D view. And I remember Steve going, he's, and, and literally this is, this is my first, this is, this is the opening, hey, interaction with Steve story. Oh my God. I'm going to make the crowd shit their pants. <laughs> um, and what was really interesting about that is he, in his mind, he thought so experientially that in this very first demo of like new technology and, and everything, he's like, how is this story going to go? How is the demo going to go? How are we going to articulate this to the public? And he's, and it was so infectious. And I think that's something that, that, I realized being like, wow, like this guy's into this. He's not just, you know, pretending when he gets on a stage, like he, he's into this. Um, and, and really yeah, people, minding that people moment. People always say about him, oh, he was, he was the best showman, whatever. But to be a good showman is easy if you actually really give a shit. Like yeah. if you really, really love the product, then being a showman is about, I can't wait to show you this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that was super legit with Steve. And I mean, I think uh, when you knew he was excited about something you knew, and and I think it showed on the stage, right? It means like this landed in the right way. And and no detail was too small. Um, in the early uh, iChat, the U plus three is like, well, how do you know if someone can accept that type of call, a multi-way call versus a single way call? And you know, you're looking at the different icons and the different options and, and it's like, nope, Steve didn't like any of those. Or Steve picked this one. I was like, why do you pick that one? Um, and, and you realize like, well, he can only pick among what you're giving him. So if you don't like it, don't, don't show him. That's kind of your, your power as a, as a, uh, as a contributor to the team, <laughs> like, um, uh, figure out what you want and, and figure out three versions of what you want and come to that. Uh, and one of the things that's really interesting is he could say no to something one week and then the very next week say yes to that thing. And I remember early on being super frustrated, being like, why aren't, why isn't he consistent? about that. And, and I remember this for the icons where it was like going to be a purple icon versus a green icon. Um, and then it ended up being that it was like a, 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 an overlay green with like multiple, like it looks like it was stacked three deep. Um, and, and the first time he picked purple and I was like, oh, that doesn't make any, you know, oh, that, that's no good. Um, and we switched back. And I was like, well, but he already picked purple. And it's like, well, he decided that was the bad idea. That, was, that, that didn't work. We changed it. And, and, and this idea of like, who cares what my past decisions were with new data and with new kind of insight or, or, or having ruminated on it, I changed my mind and there's nothing wrong with that. It's something that I think as a leader, you're many people are often pressured into like consistency. Like I must be consistent and I must stand by my beliefs. And I think Steve was someone who was like, if I believed that like we should turn left when the whole time we've been turned right, he was very clear about let's just turn left. And as someone who was very early into his career, that that is left to like a huge impression on me in that the right thing to do is the right thing to do, even if you, you know, even if you thought differently a day ago or an hour ago. And, and uh, yeah, I, I see Steve practice that uh, very regularly and sometimes frustratingly. So you're like, I just tore all that work out of the product and <laughs> now I'm putting it back, but it's like, eh, you know, uh, you get paid it either way. Uh, let's make it right. Uh, at, at the risk of yada yadding uh, <laughs> other projects in your career and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, uh, I, I, I'm assuming that working on iChat, is what sort of when the phone comes along gets you involved in messaging and FaceTime and things like that. So let me, but before we get to that, given the famously, you know, secretive nature of the iPhone project and things like that, like uh, you personally, what was your experience with first hearing about it or first hearing inklings about it before you even know oh. what it is? Give me, give me some of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I've been on iChat for about a year at this point. 
and we, this is what happens. So we are all on the Infinite Loop campus, right? And I'm uh, I, iChat's offices are on the second floor of Two Infinite Loop or IL Two uh, is what we call it. And one day it's like we're moving, <laughs> we're moving, and they're creating this whole lockdown on the second floor of IL Two, and that's that, you know. And you're like, huh, okay. And again, I'm I'm early in my career, and and I think I'm like a I'm like a a terrier where I'm like, well, what's going on up there? Like, what? Well, like that that sounds important. Like, uh, you know, at the time that that's where Scott Forstall's office is now. His office is behind lockdown. Huh? That must be super important. Whatever's happening there, right? And so I'm like, uh, I feel like I'm like uh, just trying to figure out what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, and and what I start to see is that one or two people on each team uh, for Mac OS, you know, a couple of people from the mail team, a couple of people from, uh, you know, uh, what are the other teams um, from, you know, just different teams, uh, uh, you know, one or two people no longer work on that project are now working on second floor vial two. I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Like they're building something new. It's very clear. And they're using uh, one or two engineers from each team to like put this thing together. It's like they're rapturing people. It's weird. It's really weird. Yeah. And, and for me, I just couldn't let it go, you know? Um, and uh, at some level, I'm like, I, I, I mean, I want to be on this team, right? Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what they're doing, but that seems like if, I, if I'm able to, I, I'm going, I'm, I want to go there. And what's really interesting, this ties back into iChat, and this ties back into like how, how little things at the time make huge differences. I had worked on a, a feature uh, called Bonjour, Bonjour Messaging, which was uh, lo- allows you to connect uh, via iChat. You can talk to other uh, computers on your network. Um, and I had worked on it with a very senior guy. Um, we had uh, basically evolved Bonjour to be much more better behaved on the network or whatnot. It was like a smallish project, but it was good work that we did. And he had gotten, you know, the call to join this top secret team. And so one day, and I remember it was a Thursday and I remember it was, um, I believe it was WWDC, uh, week, uh, cause there was that still when like stuff was happening out on the, uh, in the main area of the Apple campus when they would bus everybody. So there was kind of a party atmosphere and I'm sitting at my desk, uh, and I get a phone call. Oh my gosh. To even say that now, like I'm getting a phone call on my desk phone that's plugged into the wall, which is a thing back then. <laughs> um, and it's, and it's this guy, his name's Jeremy and Hey Jeremy, what's up? And he's like, Hey, I go, what's up? And he's like, you want to come? You want to come work with us? And like, that's implying, like, I know, you know, I know the aisle two project, you know, and I go, can you tell me what it is? And he goes, no. (laughs) And I go, well, is it worth it? And he's like, oh yeah. And I was like, okay. And that was it. And, uh, you know, I meet, uh, who my manager's going to be, um, and, and, uh, you know, meet a couple people, go through a very informal kind of interview process over the next week. And then, you know, a week later, I'm in those doors of aisle two, second floor. Um, and with no idea, like, I remember sitting down and them going, do you, do you know, do you, do you know what we're working on? <laughs> I go, I have no idea. They're like, do you have a guess? And, I was like, I think you're working on a phone because that was a thing. Like, sure, uh, sure. it was like, I think we're going to work on a phone, blah, blah, blah. But there was no, there was nothing official about that. And they're like, yep, that's what we're working on. And I remember getting uh, my first tour of the phone going, oh my goodness, this is, you know, what people felt, I think, you know, that day in January in 2007 is what I felt that day. And this is, um, this is about six months before that, um, going, wow, this is very different. And I can't believe, uh, we're going to do this. I can't believe we're going to pull this off. This has a lot of work, <laughs> you know, like immediately I'm like, oh my goodness, there's a lot to do here. Um, and, and it was, uh, it's, it's a point in my life that I'll never forget. And I remember very vividly, uh, the day I joined. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. As you know, I still run the first company I ever founded 25 years ago entirely on Shopify these days. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-order stage. Shopify is there to help you grow the whole way. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is that you can take any business to the next level, even 25-year-old ones, but especially 25-day-old ones. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Love, love, love Yahoo Finance. Use it every day to research companies we talk about on the show. Heck, I used it constantly when I was writing the book to look at the historical performance of dot-com companies. But when I'm working on my own portfolio, it's also the autocomplete in my browser, yahoofinance.com. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. And when you use it for your personal investing tool, like I do, you can securely link your brokerage accounts to it for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all, you've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. Think of it as an observability dashboard, but for your finances. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Well, and, and, you know, you had worked on messages in, I guess the word I would use it in a much more stable environment, but for the messaging with the phone, you have to interact with SMS and right. you have to be connected to the network persistently. And uh, so, you know, just... Uh, uh, those are some obvious headaches, but like, uh, how how tar- how tough of an engineering project was it compared to just doing messaging on a on a desktop? Well, it was very different, right? Because what what we aren't doing is figuring out well, okay what our future set needs to be. It's like pretty clear. You need to support SMS messaging in the first one, right? Um, and the abstraction layer had, had been built, like, hey, there's, uh, we're going to abstract the idea of needing to know who the carriers or what their particularities are in a lower level framework. Um, and so for me, I think there were two things that were really challenging. Um, uh, it, it was performance and memory, right? Uh, these phones did not have any power. I remember the first time we got an actual working prototype of the first iPhone that wasn't on a breadboard plugged into a voltmeter. It had no power management on it. And I remember it lasted like for eight minutes. You know, it was like something ridiculous. And um, and you realize, okay, there's no matter, you know, the, the relatively the type of power we're used to dealing with, even laptop power on a battery is infinite compared to the amount of of power we have on this. And then, you know, there was this very clear directive that this needs to feel real time. If you scroll and there's a delay, it ruins the illusion. Remember, this is before touchscreen, capacitive touchscreens aren't a thing, you know, and, and Everybody's experience with touchscreens at that point were the resistive kind that were just garbage. Like they, they, they would try to do stuff and it's like, it's laggy, doesn't catch touches and all that. And it's like, we had to be as responsive as possible. So like basically um, half of the project is optimizing performance and, and, and making it so it feels slick. And then reducing your footprint, your memory footprint, because this is a full multitasking operating system. And, you know, I remember 
practicing and practicing and practicing for that demo that that Steve unveils the iPhone with where, you know, he goes through and does like eight things with the phone, you know, and you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I did that through my whole Christmas break running through that demo over and over again. And, and so did the whole team. When, when he um, when he hits the part that you're responsible for, when he demos the messaging and stuff, is it one of those things where you guys are just sitting there just like, you know, <laughs> can't breathe? And, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, there's an excitement. I mean, you're so proud in that moment. Like you, you're like, you've busted, you know, and, and I, you know, I've joined the team after a lot of the foundation had got set. They're like ready to really knock out these apps. And so there's people who are sitting next to me, who, you know, the past several few couple of years of their life have been dedicated to the secret. For me, it was, you know, around six months of my life have been dedicated to the secret. Um, and, and you're seeing it come out and you're so proud, but at the same time, you have that that feeling in your, in, or I, I can't speak for everyone, but for myself, you know, you got that feeling in your gut, right? Like you're, uh, incredibly, uh, nervous. You're like, I, I hope this isn't that one in a hundred case where that just doesn't work or that it crashes. And, and when you get through it, I think it's more when you're, when you're past that point where you realized how wound up you were, because you feel the wave of relaxation come over you. Um, and it wouldn't be, the first time that I had felt that, uh, oh, eh, maybe that was true because I had done some stuff for iChat and stuff that had gotten demoed. Uh, it was the first time that it really felt like it counted, but it wouldn't be the last um, of just absolute uh, gut-wrenching experiences in, you know, Moscone Center in San Francisco in the second row watching, you know, something you've been working on being demoed to the public for the first time by the most iconic, you know, salesperson of your generation. <laughs> Um, this is a few years later, but again, in the interest of time, I'm, I'm jumping yeah, to, to FaceTime. Absolutely. Um, FaceTime, just give me how that project is even conceived. <laughs> I'm assuming it's pretty soon after that, because, you know, it, once you put a camera on the front, um, this is a phone after all. So it's about communicating with people. So uh, how did, how did that project, uh, begin and. I mean, I, Brian, I think you, you line it up, right. This phone's going to have a front facing camera and yeah, you can take pictures of yourself. There's not even a word for that yet. <laughs> uh, but who really wants to do that? <laughs> like, is that all that you need? You need something more, right? Um, it, it, that tells you how, uh, quickly, uh, things that we take for granted just aren't things to take for granted. And, and also that camera. Uh, so it's like, what can we do, uh, with this front facing camera? And for a long time, we were like, we want to do our own messaging service. We want to do our own video conferencing. We want to do these things. And now it's like, okay, here's a reason to do it. Uh, because what is the feature set for a phone with a front-facing camera? It's like, okay, you can take your own pictures. That's great. Um, what if you, you, know, you could actually video call other people? Um, and so it's like, well, let's figure out how to do this. And... The very early cuts of FaceTime are basically a port of what we do on iChat in terms of those connections. Um, and, you know, we have this, you know, basically it wasn't called FaceTime at the time, but, you know, the video calling app. And it's its own app, right? And it has basically like a buddy list like you would for AIM, you know, and so you, you have uh, people there. And I remember... Uh, very vividly uh that one friday so we normally demoed on uh mondays to steve but on one friday i remember uh my uh vp or my boss actually uh Henri, and uh our program manager kim coming to my office like steve wants to see a, a facetime demo and i said great well i'll have it ready for monday and they're like, no, like you want to see it today. And it was like, you know, 11 AM. I go, okay, cool. Uh, I'll get it set up. You know, this afternoon we'll be ready. He's like, no, 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 no. He's walking over from aisle one <laughs> right now and wants to see it. You have about five minutes <laughs> and you know, you're in development 
And when you set up a, a Steve demo, especially on Mondays, you spend, you know, your Friday's ruined, basically. You're, you're setting up for it. You're like prepping, you're making sure it's going to go as well as possible. You want the right conversation to happen. Let me put it that way. And I literally have to go into an engineer's office and grab, I'm like, hey, uh, do you have two phones <laughs> that work? And he's like, well, they don't really, once they're connected, they work. But like the connection's flaky because um, we were bringing up the push notification service to like, that's almost nonsensical. These communication devices, once they're connected, you can communicate with <laughs> right? them. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's the irony of working on software that, that's not built yet, where you're like, okay, there's some glitch here where the phone doesn't wake up uh, when it receives a notification. So you got to keep the phone awake and keep the phone awake, then it, it usually works. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So I'm like, okay, let me just have it. And like, you know, usually Steve deals with pristine devices. And so like, I'm looking, I'm getting a clock, I'm like wiping them down for him and stuff, putting them there. And he comes down the hallway. Oh, hey, Steve, you know, pleasantries are exchanged. And he's like, well, let's see it. So I hand him the phone and I hold the phone. And I go into my office, which is right in front of this interaction. He's in the hallway. So I go into my office and I, I look at the phone and I see Steve on the phone and I go, you know, what I do when I normally test FaceTime, I go, I, I hold my, my, my uh, face up, you know, like this, and I count and I, and I show the numbers to show the, the uh, video and audio synchronization. This is like a standard test we do. So we go to Steve, I go, one, two, three. And he goes, what are you doing? Talk to me like a normal human. <laughs> I go, oh, sorry. Uh, hey, Steve, uh, how's it going? How are you doing? He's like, I'm doing well. And, and, I, and I kid you not, Steve's holding his phone like this, which is not the most becoming angle that anyone's ever seen. And he so goes, he's, he's looking down for, for the, for the listeners. Oh, sorry. Yes. Like he's holding it above his belly, essentially. Yeah. And essentially like, yeah. He, he's got it like at, at chest level staring yeah. down into it. At yeah. Me. yeah. So I've got this kind of like, you know, the, the <laughs> neck, you know, uh, yeah, the neck yeah. face type thing. And, <laughs> and what's funny is I know that, you know, we're all in a hallway. Uh, this is, you know, now we've grown bigger and it's all basically the, the communications team is on, on this hallway. So all the engineers are kind of at the doors listening. I'll, I'll never forget this. And he goes, I look abominable. <laughs> and, and, and you're like, oh, you know, you don't. I'm going to be like, hey, Steve, you're holding it wrong. It's like, okay, <laughs> like let's keep going on with the with the demo. Uh, and I remember coming out of that demo and a couple of things happened. One, it was like, okay, we have a lot of work to do. Yes, obviously, this was a completely impromptu demo. Um, but two, he was like, why is it a separate app? He's like, this should just be in the phone. You should just be able to tap a button mm. and, and it go from a phone call to a video call. And I'm like, okay, like, it's at the end of the day, it's software, right? It's ones and zeros, it's dictionaries, it's strings. Can we do that? I, I guess we could do that. And, and, and I remember him like drawing the, the phone display of the six buttons uh, on a phone call. And I remember going, what's the difference between pause and hold? <laughs> and, and there is a difference. It's, it, effectively for the user, there isn't a difference, but there is a difference. Uh, pause, you can't hear either side, whereas hold, uh, I'm sorry, not pause and hold, pause and mute. Uh, pause, neither side can hear each other, mute, um, you're just muting your side, but you can hear the other side. And he goes, eh, we don't need pause. And he X's it out and puts the like little camera icon, we should just put it there. And I'm like, okay. And, and literally, we had to spin up a whole other project for like, well, how do you bootstrap your phone number or your, your, your phone credentials so that you can just have this one button upgrade to FaceTime? But it was in those moments where it's like, hey, three very crisp sentences, a quick drawing, and your project's like totally different now. Um, and I think for the better. I mean, there's no question. That's a much better experience. I mean, like, okay, now set up your FaceTime and like have a whole different list and all this stuff where it's just like, it's like making a phone call. And eventually we came out with a separate app and all that stuff. But uh, it was that kind of work where you're just like, wow, like that, that's, that's the kind of person Steve was. And then he, we had such a team that was like, well, let's figure this out. Let's ship this. Let's do this. And so within the scope of the thing we were already building within that year, because the hardware has got to ship from the factory on this date and time, we can't slip. You know, we added a huge chunk of scope uh, and we're able to pull it off, which is just, you know, an incredible feat. Uh, I kind of have to ask this when uh, FaceTime comes out and Steve does the demo and he says it's uh it's 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 open source, open standard, industry standard. Every we're gonna everybody's gonna use this, and obviously that's never happened. And you can't speak for 
the different strategic reasons at different times. But what are your thoughts on <laughs> the infamous industry no. standard of, of FaceTime? Yeah, right. You know, um, you know, I leave Apple around 2013, which is right when this uh, happens uh, or, or a little after this happens, because I, I do ship iMessage in the interim. Um, my take on this is it was easy, easy to say and hard to execute um, and understanding like what that, how that would look or what that would take was like very unclear. And uh, I actually didn't really, uh, uh, you know, I was very focused on the consumer side of making this work. And so I think there was a whole like, how, how do we do that? And like, how, how does that actually end up happening that I think those questions like end up taking a backseat? A lot of stuff happens in the interim. There's actually a lot of turnover of the team and of, of actually at Apple. I mean, in that, in that period, uh, Steve passes away, Scott leaves Apple. Um, and so I think it's one of those things that in through time, it gets lost. Um, my take is what made uh what's interesting about things like facetime is the level of flexibility you have in a closed system and i think this is like all 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 products experience this about how fast you're able to move what changes you're able to make what's a breaking change how, how do you get this better and better and better and when you go to standardize something you kind of have to set up your your stake in the ground for what's the like what's the base experience and you're you're it's really hard to change that and, and in many ways that's why like sending a message across phones via mms is a terrible experience it, you know it's built for standards that are 30 years old or more um and so how you continue to develop on that and also create an open thing it it, it seemed it, it was a tall order. And I think, you know, again, I can't speak for Apple, but I think it was, there's still so much more to do over here um, that I think the open part got, got lost along the way. Uh, I thought of a way of how to do the, the Steve sort of experience question. And, and that's to break it into two. If you tell me your best Steve interaction where you're walking away from it on cloud nine and also your scariest Steve interaction where you might have wet yourself. Okay, I don't know if Steve ever caused me uh, to wet myself. I, I I have the the lore stories like everyone else. I think that that FaceTime uh, experience that I told you there was definitely a that could have gone better, but we got got a good. Day. The next demo needs to be better, and and I think part of that was preparation, and part of that was you know understanding like um, latency issues and things like that. And I remember going that that could have gone way better um, than it did. Um, um, the the funniest thing uh, I remember the thing that left me on cloud nine, and, and it's kind of a zinger story is is actually the launch party of the very first iPhone. Um, it was at um, Gosh, what was it? Oh, I forget what it was called. But it was uh, the Exploratorium in San Francisco, which is kind of this interactive science museum. And, uh, you know, and it's it's the thing where it's like, oh, you play with the things and there's, there's like the table of crab or whatever, you know, and, and you've got like different stations and people are mingling. And it's, a, I mean, it's super exciting, right? Because uh, the phone uh, is out and this is like two days after, right? After the launch. And uh, I see Steve. And we are uh, chatting and I remember telling him, I go, you know, I know this is going to be big. And he goes, why do you think? And I said, well, cause my sister who's infinitely cooler than I am just waited in line in Austin, Texas for like four hours to get one. It's like, she's not going to wait in line for anything. And she waited in line for the phone and not because I work here. She doesn't actually care that I work here. She just thinks this thing's super cool. I was like, if you have people like her doing that, like, this is a big deal. And he goes, you know, this is the you know biggest product launch in the history. It's gotten more column space than than it, than any other product launch in history. And he goes, and the only thing that allows me to sleep is that unlike when we had the Mac, um, we we have software update. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed, and he laughed, and we went on. Um, and and I was like, oh, that felt good. You know, I got the you know the cool anecdote we're chatting. And then I remember later on in the evening, he goes up to address everyone. And he goes, 
you know, the iPhone's going to be the most successful product in the world. And I know this because it's had more column space than any other product launch in history. And the only thing that allows me to sleep at night is that unlike the Mac, we have software update. <laughs> and I was like, he was not talking to me at all. He was practicing for what he was going to say up there. And I was a test subject for how right, I would react. Exactly. <laughs> well. and, and I thought, did he just say that to everyone for that that whole hour <laughs> that he spoke to? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Either that or you dog fooded the joke for him. So yeah, yeah. So uh, he got a chuckle, so he used it. Uh and, and I think that's that's uh you know, for me, that moment, uh the reason I remember that moment, not just for that anecdote, but you know, Steve is someone who wears hard on his sleeve, and that was a man who was beaming about the thing that he had built uh, with this team. And just, he was nothing but happy in that moment. And, uh, and it's how I'll remember him. In 2023, just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today, Arctic Wolf Incident Response. Wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cyber criminals? That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mac Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mac Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mac Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air-knit underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer, their Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Um, so, uh, again, I'm going to just mention that, you know, you obviously worked on, you know, CarPlay and, and mm -hmm. you know, the foundations of Game Center and all, all sorts of things. Um, and... I, I want to give credit to your time at Airbnb too, uh, real quick in in this way, which is to say that it occurs to me that like Apple, Airbnb is a company that re requires an, an intense commitment to the experience. Um, so I'm curious if, not to put words in your mouth, but if you were able to bring some experience about experience from Apple to your time at Airbnb. Yeah, the, you know, Brian, you hit the nail on the head. You know, deciding to leave a company like Apple, especially after 10 years, is very difficult. And, and you don't see a lot of people uh, leaving Apple, especially from that generation of Apple. Um, and what was cool is what I realized is that I had built up a series of lessons and anecdotes and just things about like what makes products great or how did Apple make products great? And like, could I use this? in other areas, you know, also I had felt a little bit of, I got, I had built this sandbox and now I wanted to play in it. And I think Airbnb was a way to kind of do that, right? Like build a great experiences on a platform that you'd been working on for so long. And for Airbnb, I think, uh, 
you hit the nail on the head where it's like Airbnb is trying to provide an experience to people and happens to use technology to do that. Um, and, uh, I'm, I think that's kind of the, the arc of my, of my career is like, how do you connect people and, and use technology to do that? And, and Airbnb has this unique moment when people travel and people uh, take trips, you know, how do you do that? Um, I think for me, um, the experience piece, you know, Brian, uh, Brian Chesky, uh, has in spades. He really, he really echoes that kind of mindset at uh, this, this, this passionate mindset about what uh, a guest at Airbnb could do and could say, and what could be unique about their experience and how do you make that better? And how do you instill a sense of confidence uh, by uh, doing a digital transaction for a real world experience? Um, I think Airbnb had very strongly, I think what I lent to with my time there was how do you get a large group of people to get together and ship something, you know, on time and very well. And it's kind of the mechanics of Apple uh, on the inside applied to this, like, very lofty goals. And it's like, how do you take something that's that's experiential and then break it down into projects and tasks and, 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 and schedules and, and put it all together and still have a cogent, coherent experience at the other side? Um, and so uh, I think... You know, my role at Airbnb was very much uh, around some of the things like uh, I remember in 2014, um, working on the rebrand of Airbnb from going kind of the website to the the new thing. And there was a whole controversy about the logo and stuff back then. But, you know, this was, you know, a 200 person engineering team, a, a dozen designers and, and like kind of we're all going to do this and launch it all at the same time. And, you know, that was something that uh, to date Airbnb hadn't really done before. And and I think it was, you know, through some of that experience at, at Apple that that we were able to pull that off. Um, but also just trying to champion the fact that, you know, just because you're an engineer doesn't mean you don't need to be empathetic toward what you're building for and who you're building for, whether it be a host or a guest. And, and I just tried to instill that in the team. So I think my time at Airbnb was very much a... Uh, understanding, you know, for me, working out what were what were my core skill set and how could I apply them in, uh, there, um, and and working on a product that I did feel like was trying to create the connection that I so value via technology. Well, let's let's wrap it up by bringing it straight to the present and tell sure. me tell me about future yeah. and what is the experience of of, of future. You know, uh, great question and future. Uh, is a digital platform where we connect people with real expert personal trainers um, to help people uh, meet their goals uh, in fitness and in health. And it sounds very simple on the surface, um, but for for me, um, the key unlock here is that we have a fundamental belief that it's actually people who help people in this area and, and achieve their goals um, and not stuff and not technology, but these things enable an experience to happen. Um, I, I don't, I'm not a natural, I'm not like a fitness guy. Uh, and that's something that's interesting. So my co-founder and I about five years ago, this is after me at Airbnb, uh, we sit down and, and Rishi Mandel, who's our, our CEO and I'm the CTO, uh, we're co-founders. Um, we start talking about, you know, the state of health in America and talking about how, you know, every year millions of Americans resolve to try and get fit. And by the end of the year, 80% of them have failed. Um, and that most of the solutions out there uh, are about content and about kind of putting the onus on the person in terms of, hey, if this doesn't work out, it's not because the plan was wrong, it's because you didn't, you didn't get it done. Um, and, and for us, it's like, and for me, it's a very self-reflective journey because I was like, I'm a busy person. I've done great stuff in, in my career. I have a wife, I have children now. Um, I, I, I've had a hard time with my fitness, you know, and I've stopped and started, I've been on diets, I've done all sorts of stuff. And what the realization is, is like, I lacked an infrastructure to like help me succeed. And if I could have someone who could provide me accountability, who could provide me uh, expertise and could also understand, like they needed to meet me where I was. 
you know, it wasn't me being like you told commit to something, but me being told, Hey, I get it. You're busy. Stuff changes. Your kid gets sick. You have to work late, all this stuff. We'll figure out a way to make this work. Um, and maybe some days it's a stretch and maybe some days it's go run four miles. But the point is we're going to just get you into on a journey basically. And we're going to do it together. You have support, you have a person. Um, and so future is really about connecting um, coaches, expert coaches all over the country with our members who do everything from get off the couch for the first time to, to already working out seven days a week. And the cool thing about futures, we meet them where they're at. And this is the kind of digital hospitality that I learned at Airbnb combined with this understanding that this is all done asynchronously with text chat uh, through an app. And this understanding that now more than ever, you don't need um, to be physically co-located with someone to really receive uh, the, the service that you need. Um, and, and fitness, we believe, is no exception. Um, and you can still have a highly personalized, highly engaging experience in doing so. Well, I mean, you know, I'm sure you've thought of this, but the through line to all of this is it's messaging. Because, uh, you know, I was looking up that, yep. like, um, you know, people, I think, are, are are texting their trainers like four times a day on average and things like that. So this is the through line through all of that is that yep. the technology is just the communication, right? That's right. It's about connecting people with other people. You know, I, I'd like to say my whole career isn't about figuring out uh, you know, find, building a new technology and figuring out how to apply it, but rather taking the building blocks that the internet and technology and communications and messaging provides, and how do we connect people in a way um, with future? What's really interesting is when uh, a coach and client relationship goes well, yes, you're talking about your exercises and what your workouts are and whatnot, but it ends up becoming much richer because messaging is such an open medium that your coach gets to know about you and who you are, what your motivators are, what your blockers are. And it really becomes a relationship, uh, a connection there. And, and, and what, what we do on the technology side is how do we empower the coach to actually uh, not have to pour over all of the data being generated by your watch uh, and, and actually digest that and really give actionable insight to our coaches so that they can provide a highly personalized experience um, at a scale that we aspire to be at. Um, and, and that's actually a really intense technical problem that presents itself very simply to our members, which is like a very Apple thing too. It's like, it just kind of works, but there's just a lot going on behind the scenes to enable it all. Um, because what we want to do is take things like wearables and take the data that comes from there. And instead of making you the arbiter of that, you, the individual, you get that, you give that to an expert who can actually reflect that data and, and, incorporate what they're seeing into your workouts or into your plan um, and, and understand that in a way that I think right now uh, we all feel kind of on an island trying to figure out what am I supposed to do for my health? I know it's important. Um, what do I do? We're trying to take all that stuff and make it actionable by putting a human in the loop. And it's actually a, a really uh, different way of looking at fitness and especially connected fitness and technology. Uh, well, so everybody check out the app, uh, future, uh, get in shape. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's about the journey. You know, I think it's, yeah. uh, I think that's the thing It's like everyone starts somewhere. Um, and we're here to wherever you're at, even if it's like, uh, not in shape, uh, but it's like, <laughs> get moving, get moving. That's fine. Just that's get fine. going. Everyone's got to yeah, start yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Justin Santa Maria, thank you so much for coming and um, sharing all those memories with us and, and telling us about future and all that good stuff. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.